From high atop Rocky Road in Moab, Utah, it's KZMU News. I'm Molly Marcello. It's Friday, February 25th. Let's put the play in radio play. That's been the unofficial motto of KZMU station manager Sarah Mead as she created the concept for this year's Radio Play Festival. It's something new the station is trying for its 30th anniversary. Today on the news, we turn the mic on this fun, quirky, experimental effort. I asked Sarah to first give us a little history on the KZMU radio play. Back in, I believe it was 2016, partially as a response to being defunded from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, um, and also just as a you know brainchild of the highly creative former manager Marty Durlin, the radio play came about. The context of it being in response to the defunding from CPB was that uh, we needed a fundraiser, <laughs> and it needed to be really um, unique and exciting, and something that could be ticketed, and something that could kind of guarantee some kind of uh, income. Yeah. So that's how it got started. And then it just took off from there. So the very first one was Downtown Abbey Season 1. And immediately following that, the following year was Season 2 of Downtown Abbey. And then Marty did a uh, adaptation for radio of a different play that she had written mm. called Beautiful Radiant Things, which was all about Emma Goldman's 50th birthday party in prison. And it had no less than 36 musical numbers. And then after that, uh, Marty's last radio play for KZMU was Uranium the Musical, which was just mm. spectacular. Mm. So incredible. I I always remember that refrain, just uranium. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uranium. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it really sticks with you. And that was so nice, too, because it was so of this town and of this community. Mm-hmm. And um, people that were mentioned in the play are actual historical figures. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them or some of their relatives were able to attend mm-hmm. the final performance. So that was really incredible. And um, when Marty left KZMU, we had to keep this going. And thankfully, uh, Jenna Wetzel, who had participated in two other radio plays under Marty's direction, is another creative mm-hmm. person, a writer and an actress. And she came up with the following two years radio plays. So Wormhole, the musical, and then Choreomania. So Wormhole took place like three days before lockdown. <laughs> yeah, it, it is the last event yeah. I remember going to without being worried about COVID. Yeah, yeah. uh-huh. <laughs> And, and it was amazing. I mean, uh-huh. it sold out the first night and it was a, you know, a really, really well attended during mm-hmm. the matinee. Um, and so then Choreomania was our, our offering during the pandemic mm-hmm. and we had to completely rethink it. And mm-hmm. we made it uh, so that there was no live in-person mm-hmm. event. It was um, rehearsed and performed all in the stage room at the mark with social distancing. So everybody was in a big circle with like six feet on either side. Mm-hmm. And we purchased this equipment to make it so that everyone could have headphones, even mm. though they were like 10 feet away from the nearest headphone amplifier. Mm. There was still live music. We had live percussion and piano. Uh, we had live Foley, both recorded sound effects and live sound effects. And then we still had all of the amazing voice acting. So all of the things we love about our radio plays, but in this form that was only 
broadcast over the air. So it was performed live at the mark and then remotely broadcast out over the Mm. airwaves. And it was amazing. It was like that feeling of being at a live performance, but from your home. I right. remember, you know, I, w- I would tune in from my house and be nervous and excited for the <laughs> yeah. actors. Like, right. what am I about to hear? Uh-huh. You know, like you said, the play had to transition <laughs> in a big way yes. for the pandemic. It really did. We had to almost completely rethink it. And um, and it was no longer a fundraiser. So the, mm-hmm. the one that we did last year was just completely for the community and for the actors just to have that creative outlet. And also to have that sense of tuning in for something or showing up for something at a specific time. Mm -hmm. And so that was aired in three parts. There were three acts Mm -hmm. for that. And so that brings us to this year. Yeah. Tell us about this year. This year, for a lot of reasons, namely that we're turning 30 um, this year. And so my first instinct was to, to put this celebratory lens over every single thing we normally do. Um, and so the first thing coming up is our radio play. It always mm. happens in the springtime. Mm. And I thought, how wonderful would it be if rather than it being sort of confined to a set cast and crew and uh, with one writer and director, what if we were able to engage as many people as possible? Mm. So I decided to adopt this amateur film festival uh, model where people can form teams or work solo and write and direct and record and produce their very own radio play um, five to seven minutes in length and submit it to KZMU. And then we will have a live listening party is is kind of how I'm describing mm-hmm. it. So there will still be, you know, COVID permitting. Yeah. We will meet at Star Hall. Um, people the, will have tickets available. People will come in. And we'll be able to listen to all of these amazing pieces that people have created from their own imagination. Um, and then we have some special things that we're planning to to do mm. in the interludes. Um, <laughs> to sprinkle in. Sprinkling in some uh-huh. visual uh-huh. fun stuff. Right. Um, uh-huh. Because, you know, it's kind of a weird thing. I don't know when the last time I've ever intentionally gone to something to sit in a dim room and mm-hmm. just listen. But that's what's pretty exciting about it. It's really mm-hmm. unique. And it's taking that that sort of fireside chat yeah. <laughs> um, energy and, and bringing it uh-huh. back to, to now and radio right. theater and really accessing the magic of, of everyone's imagination. So five to seven minutes, you could do a play as a team. Mm-hmm. You could do it solo. Mm-hmm. How do you even go about this? <laughs> yeah, that's, I know. <laughs> Because it seems like it seems like oh that's easy, and then you really start thinking about it, and mm-hmm. and it's sort of like how do I even start? So mm-hmm. when I talk to people about it, I like to describe it in a spectrum. Mm-hmm. So on the one side of the spectrum, you've got the whole narrative arc of the hero's journey. There's multiple characters. There's an there's a moment where you meet everyone. There's a conflict. Mm-hmm. There's an almost resolution, and then there's a disaster, and then there's another resolution, mm-hmm. and. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's music and sound effects Mm -hmm. and, you know, relationships. That's possible. If you or someone you know has the ability to write something like that, then go for it. Mm. Um, I think writing is is for some people the hardest part. And so, you know, I invite people who have that skill to Mm. maybe round up some friends who don't want to write but would rather voice act Mm. or who really love to experiment by knocking on things and Mm -hmm. making sound effects and stuff. Um, the other side of the spectrum is like one person could, in a very, very theatrical way, do a reading mm-hmm. of something that they wrote 
and then go out in nature and record sounds, ambient sounds or field sounds, and put those field sounds under the recording of their reading Mm. and create like an audio art piece. I think I've said this before on the air, but I'm really emphasizing the play in Radio Play Festival. And um, the other big resource is that things that were created um, before the year of 1924 Mm. are out of copyright. Which means that anyone participating in this can use that material Mm -hmm. and we can broadcast it over the air and keep it as an archive and not have to worry about copyrights. Mm -hmm. So Edward Lear poems, um, I believe Edgar Allan Poe poems, um, older radio plays, like things that are already amazing and artistic and creative can be adapted in your way Mm -hmm. and created for this radio play festival. So it could be that, like you just explained, that I write something and then find actors Mm -hmm. and do the whole thing. But it also could be experimental audio. Totally. Yes, it just it has to have Foley, Mm -hmm. which is the term for for live handmade sound effects. Mm -hmm. Um, Think rattling a piece of sheet metal to sound like thunder. It has to have Foley and has to have at least one voice. The other rules are that it needs to be FCC friendly and somewhat at least family friendly. The FCC rules I've explained in very plain terms Mm -hmm. on our website. If you go to kzmu.org and click on Radio Play Festival, all of this information is there. And there are even some great examples of places where you can find Creative Commons material, you know, royalty-free sound effects, royalty-free music to put under your pieces. You know, it's it's hard because I don't want to create such a... Um, such an open-ended thing that people feel overwhelmed, but mm-hmm. I also really want to encourage as much creativity as possible. I want to be surprised mm. when these submissions come in, and I want to have the experience of playing them back-to-back at Star Hall and having the audience think, like, whose voice is that? Mm. Who made this? What mm-hmm. is happening? And when they hear the sound of a babbling brook or when they hear crunching leaves, they see somebody walking by a stream. You know, you're kind of creating that, you're making the movie in somebody's mind. Mm-hmm. Radio being the most visual medium, as <laughs> we like to say. Yes, 100%. <laughs> Thank you for taking us through those parameters. Mm-hmm. Now, there's an important workshop. Yes. If people, if this is piquing anyone's interest, um, or if people just want to learn more about Radio Place, Mm -hmm. um, tell us about the workshop. The workshop takes place on Saturday afternoon uh, from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. Saturday, February 26th. That's tomorrow. Taking place at the Mark in the Side Yard patio, so it will be outdoors, weather permitting. If there is gnarly weather, I think we'll be able to move it indoors with no issue. And there will be four-ish instructors, myself and my co-producer of the whole Radio Play Festival, Jessica Retka, Mm -hmm. who has been um, the music director for many of our past radio plays. Also, Donnie Kiffmeyer will be an instructor. Donnie has operated fully and been a voice actor and narrator and musician on past radio plays. And new to the Radio Play Festival realm, Mm Uh, for KZMU at least, Sam Van Wetter. And so Sam will be leading instruction on playwriting. He has a a degree in playwriting and is extremely creative. So I'm excited to hear about what he will offer the group in terms of 
ideas for writing. Uh, Donnie will lead stuff on things like mic technique and how to make Foley happen. Mm -hmm. He'll have a Foley table there so people will be able to witness it in person and even experiment with making their own sounds. Um, And then we'll go over everything from big picture planning to audio production. I'll have a bunch of different recording devices for people to get familiar with. I'll even go around and teach people how to uh, download and operate a recorder on their phone. So this is something that you can do with very little materials. (laughs) Right. Um, And uh, and I'm really excited to to show just how accessible this art form can be. And I'm, you know, knowing that KZMU is a community radio station, are you imagining people could also use our production room too to create their plays also? Absolutely. It's one of the things that we're offering registered teams. Um, And by the way, there are, at this point in time, there are six groups registered already. Wow. Okay. And so as being part of this whole production, you will have access to the KZMU recording booth where we're talking right now. Mm -hmm. And we have really high quality mics and a a mixing board so Mm -hmm. that you can actually use high quality stuff. Um, And then you'll also be able to tap me and Jessica Retka and other, um, you know, Donnie Kiffmeyer Mm -hmm. as support to help with the actual recording, the writing, the production, and editing it all together. Radio Play Festival. And remind us when the actual listening date, if all goes according to plan, you know, when the actual listening date will be. So there's there's three critical dates. The first one is this Saturday, February Mm -hmm. 26th, from 11 to 2 at the mark. That's the Mm -hmm. Radio Play Theater workshop, which like you said, is open to anyone. You don't have to be a participant. You can just come and learn. The next important date is March 25th. And that is the deadline for submitting the finished piece. So all six folks who are already registered, plus everyone else who wants to register before then, that's when they'll need to submit their final pieces. Mm. Then two weeks later, on April 9th, which is a Saturday, that's when the final event will be taking place at Star Hall. Another thing that I'm excited about with this year's Radio Play Festival, I'm working with the Moab Valley Multicultural Center After School Club and also in conversation with the drama department at the high school to engage young people in even more direct ways. Mm -hmm. In the past, we've had young people as voice actors. Mm -hmm. Um, We also had a Beacon After School Club that designed and built a uh, sound effect machine for the wormhole, which was amazing. And then this year, we will um, hopefully have maybe even like a piece or two that's been created and produced exclusively by Moab youth. Um, and that is really, really exciting to me. I just want to like place for the listener, Kizimu is always experimenting. Mm-hmm. And this is one of the ways that we're doing that this mm-hmm. year for our 30th year. Mm-hmm. And I think like other community radio stations are really interested in this process and what we're about to do. I know that um, our sister stations, many of them do have a tradition of, of radio plays as well, but this is the first festival I'm aware of in our region. Yeah, definitely. The only thing that I've seen that comes close to this is something um, that's put on by 
like the Here Now audio festival that takes place out of Kansas City, Missouri every year. That's that's like a big festival mm. to celebrate audio theater around the the whole country. And they accept submissions from anyone who wants to send them in from radio stations to independent producers. In fact, KZMU, we were we received a platinum selection for Choreomania last year in their podcast Palooza category. <laughs> amazing. <laughs> um, which is amazing. That's it's yeah. so cool. And um and this is this is really unique in this medium, and then also for a station of our size. Um, and I'm I'm really proud of it, even that we're trying it, because I think we take really seriously how much we try to be inclusive, and how to make things accessible. And so this is I see this as a way of like sort of demystifying the radio play and making it accessible to everyone who wants to be involved. Um, and then also as another way to sort of wow the audience members at just what kind of creativity we have in this Mm. in this town are you hopeful that this will get people excited about radio in different ways yes yeah (laughs) i am in the past you know there have been folks who come out of our radio plays that have wanted to stick around and participate Mm. in the following year Um, and my hope is that by not only showcasing how you can make something really fun or quirky or poignant in just five minutes, um, but also by having these educational workshops that people will start to take this on. Mm-hmm. And, you know, maybe we can start getting a, sh- a series, a yeah. locally made series mm-hmm. on our airwaves more regularly. Yeah. Um, or maybe people can just have another outlet that is uh that's safe and and creative that you can do you know if you're having to work from home or not not able to attend the normal kind of artistic and inspiring things you normally would sarah mead kzmu station manager she is on a team of producers for this year's radio play festival that workshop is tomorrow saturday from 11 to 2 p.m at the moab arts and recreation center You can find more information about the Radio Play Festival, including tips and tricks and registration info at kzmu.org and in the show notes of today's news. And now the weekly newsreel, where we check in with reporters on their latest stories of the Moab area. The Valley's water providers are engaging in a joint planning process to look more closely at this precious resource. Sophia Fisher of the Times Independent explains. As listeners, I'm sure know, the Moab Valley has three separate governing bodies, all of whom draw water from the same sources, the same aquifers, the same groundwater. These are the city of Moab, Grand County, and San Juan County. Um, And historically, these water providers haven't done a ton of collaboration um, on the water sources in the valley and, and, you know, planning for resilient management of water here. But that's actually about to change. There is a coalition forming of those three water providers to first conduct an engineering study this year. It's called the Water Utility Resource Management Plan, which is going to examine the water resources in the valley and plan for management over the next century, which is really exciting. So this coalition is coming together. Do they have an RFP? Do they know what they're going to be looking at specifically? Yes, there's a scope of work that's in final phases. It's online if people want to find it. I know it's in the... Um, Grand County Commission's last agenda, I think on February 15th. It's several pages long, and it's going to look at 
trying to figure out how much water there is in the valley. And that's actually a big purpose of the study is because different, as we know, there have been a lot of water studies done over the past few years. And there's a lot of disagreement and a lot of conflict over how much water is left here and how much more water we can use. So a big point of this coalition is to agree on what Carly Castle said is a consensus yield, Mm -hmm. trying to agree on how much water is left. All three bodies are signing MOUs right now. Uh It looks like it's uh, going forward uh, pretty cleanly. So this coalition is coming together. What, you know, did you talk at all about a separate plan? There's the water conservation discussion as well? Yes, uh, absolutely. There are discussions on water conservation in addition to, you know, finding new water sources such as drawing more water from the Colorado River. It looks like the study is also going to examine what more these governing bodies can do to better use the water that we already are using. And I should say the coalition, this engineering study is the first act of the coalition, but I think there's a lot of hope that the coalition is going to continue on afterwards and once there are recommendations from this study on what to do, those governments can continue to act in unison to implement them. Now, this is, you know, like you explained, this is um, a coalition of water utility providers, but Moab City has sort of led the charge on this effort. Um, Was there discussion at the city council this week? Yes, there was discussion this week. They had a workshop on it uh, this Tuesday, and a few weeks ago, they actually had the vote approving the MOU. Um, the, The workshop was generally just describing the state of water, here. And there was also actually discussion on water-wise landscaping ordinances that might be implemented Mm -hmm. in the coming weeks and months. And they're still in very early phases of this. But Moab City is definitely looking at trying to um, better regulate how people are using water in their yards Mm -hmm. and outside areas. Well, thank you, Sophia. Is there anything else that you think is imperative to mention about um, the Times Independence coverage of water this week? Just want to say that I'm really excited and hopeful for this. And I hope you know, good things come from it. Moving on, um, where do you all, because Doug, you are in the room as well, where do you all want to take us next? Well, first of all, I think I deserve a round of applause for keeping my mouth shut during that discussion. <laughs> um, I would just add that, um, don't forget that water doesn't run downhill, it runs towards money, and that always uh, uh, plays a role in decisions that are made. So, mm-hmm. My story is uh, about um, internet crime. Uh, we have a big story on a tale of two griffs. Last week, late last week, um, two things came to my attention that just dovetailed perfectly. Uh, one has a, a sad ending and, and one has a happy ending. Okay. Um, a Moab man lost $20,000 to internet crooks. Um, this was uh, diabolical. He contacts our neighbor and says, hey, I need your help. To catch a scammer. Huh. Now, he's had access to this guy's computer somehow. At least he, he knows that he has a $20,000 line of credit at Wells Fargo and another banking information. He represents himself as an investigator working uh, on behalf of both Amazon and the bank and that he needs his help to catch a, a, a crook. Hmm. And the, the way he does this is, uh, I need you to send me $19,500 um, wire it to a, a bank in Thailand. So the scammer is saying, hey, I need your help to catch a scammer. Yes. <laughs> and that's the grift. Okay. That's, that's the grift. And, um, but for the fact that he had all of his banking information, hmm. he never would have taken the bait. Mm, but yeah. he figured he has to be legit because nobody knows that but me in the bank. The other story was um, an elderly woman goes into uh, Moab Million Center in front of City Market and... She's got a box, and in that box, uh, unbeknownst to the uh, lady working at the center, uh, is $24,000 in cash that somebody representing themselves being from McAfee uh, Computer Security needs. Mm. Well, what they wanted actually was 2500 but mm. she put the decimal in the wrong point. 
oh, in the man. wrong place. Oh, so it was no. 24000 And she's got $300 bills in her hand uh-huh. uh, to pay for mailing this little box. And the, there are so many things raised red flags for this clerk and uh, Jessica Sutherland. And um, she really went above and beyond. She she did a, a she checked out the um, address that it was going to. Okay. First of all, it was going to a, a woman, not McAfee. And it was a, a strip mall anchored by a massage parlor. Not exactly McAfee headquarters in San yeah. Jose, California. And then the lady went out to her car to get her phone. She comes back in. The grifter had called. Oh. She's on the phone. Mm-hmm. So the clerk talks to him. She, mm-hmm. And he says his name is Mark. And he's, uh, oh, with McAfee. I mean, just... Oh, right. Just really, yeah. uh-huh. really sloppy. So she convinces the lady. She's 100% certain this is a scam. And the lady snaps. She's alert. She's coherent. She's cognizant of what's going on. And uh, she, the guy calls back and says, I'll have to call you back in a minute. We're finishing up here. Mm-hmm. She just, you know, let him do that. Well, the lady called Moab police. Moab police came. An, an officer actually contacted this uh, company. It was an international call, apparently, because they're in India. <laughs> in any event, $24,000 was saved for this woman. Because of Jessica's um, wow. uh, dedication and just her instincts and her willingness to go the extra mile to uh, yeah. um, protect this woman. So it's a cautionary tale, a couple of cautionary tales. And here's the bottom line that I want people to be aware of. Uh, these, these crooks, these grifters have gotten very sophisticated. They're really computer savvy. So I would just want people to uh, check on their parents if they, if they have elderly parents who aren't sophisticated in, in the internet and the computer and these scams and just let them know things like um mcafee security isn't going to call you and request twenty five hundred dollars nobody is going to ask you for payment in the form of gift cards mm. these are all red flags mm-hmm. nobody's going to insist you pay only through paypal because mm-hmm. once that money's gone you don't get it back they're very sophisticated and our elderly are being victimized uh, every single day. So these are two scams that have coverage in the Times Independent, one with a good outcome thanks to um, a local clerk, um, one with, you know, of course, not so good outcome. Um, You just gave us some recommendations on checking in on our elderly family members or people we know. What is the, you know, local law enforcement, do they have any recommendations? Like, if you're not sure, you know, who do you call? They're going to tell you the same thing I did. Just just saying, use your common sense or if it's too good to be true all of, all of those are in play i'm just saying that these guys are a lot better now than they used to be sure. they're, they're a lot more clever it's a scary time for people and i will say you know it's not just the elderly i get calls on my cell phone about you know a problem with my student loans right. and you have to call right away i mean my social security number was getting canceled i was like well, right. i don't think that's possible <laughs> exactly yeah. so like they're coming yeah. at, at everyone it's incredible and we do live so much of our life too like online as well so there are a lot of opportunities for people to take advantage of that well thank you for that coverage doug and you know i also I'm hoping that you all can talk about mosquitoes, if we can transition to that piece as well. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I uh, was lucky enough to speak with Michelle Ribbin. I apologize if I'm mispronouncing that, who's the head of the Moab Mosquito Abatement District about the upcoming mosquito year. Um, As we all know, I don't think mosquitoes were too bad over the last two summers, but it's well known in town that 2019 was a terrible year for the pests, um, due largely to springtime flooding from a lot of Mm -hmm. snowpack. Mosquito larvae can sit in hibernation for years until their areas are flooded and Mm. then they'll hatch into mosquitoes. But the good news is that, well, the 
we're in a drought. That's not good news. The <laughs> yeah, silver sure. lining to that drought is if we don't have a particularly wet spring, we shouldn't have a bad mosquito year, Michelle said. Okay. Um, and she was also happy to walk me through a lot of different education and outreach initiatives that she's beginning this year as head of the district. So, oh, nice. you know, keep an eye out for more information about mosquitoes and, and ways you can get involved. So there's more outreach this year. I mean, I think Michelle did suffer some pushback last year after they had to spray in certain mm-hmm. neighborhoods. Um, so outreach is probably important. Yeah, she did actually, we did talk about the fogging and she mentioned that that's only done for a specific type of mosquito. It's called the Aedes aegypti, which is invasive and it can carry dengue and Zika mm-hmm. viruses. She said that the district is trying to move away from fogging. They've actually bought new backpack misters, which can provide much more specific localized spot treatments instead mm-hmm. of just kind of spraying an entire neighborhood down. And ideally that won't even be necessary if we don't find too many Aedes aegypti this year. If we do get a season Keep all the standing water. Keep all the standing water mm, off your property. Yeah. Turn over your tires, she said. Empty your, you know, your bird baths, your kiddie pools, pots and pans that might be on all lying outside. And mm-hmm. she actually mentioned, I didn't know this, uh, you should scrub the inside of them because a lot of the time mosquito eggs will stick like glue to these surfaces. Interesting. And if they get a little more water, they can still hatch. So if you really want to get rid of mosquito eggs in your yard, you should scrub them. Sophia Fisher and Doug McMurdo from The Times Independent. Subscription info and more stories can be found at moabtimes.com. Communities across the West are attempting to adjust to a drier future. Allison Harford from the Moab Sun News explains the latest around that adjustment here in Moab. And for some perspective, she begins with our region's years-long drought. So a new study found that the American West is experiencing its worst drought in over 1,200 years. And the study analyzed tree rings to gather information about historical soil moisture. Um, That's how they reached this conclusion. In Utah, the state just experienced its third driest January on record since 1895. And Lake Powell, which is the country's second largest reservoir and is located in the southern part of Utah, um, is currently only at 27% capacity. So it's like not really a secret that Utah has been experiencing drought and that we feel the effects in Moab. Mm -hmm. And so I talked to John Mayer, who's a research technician at the Utah Climate Center, and he said that drought is the biggest climate impact that most of the western U.S. states can experience. We don't really get tornadoes and we definitely don't get hurricanes because we're locked in. And so drought is the thing that affects us the most. And he also mentioned that most of the 20th century from 1901 to 2000 was one of the wettest periods in the past 1,000 years. So that means that most of the world's industry and socioeconomics are reliant on a much wetter climate. Mm. And so as scientists are seeing that, you know, we're getting back into this drought period, um, it's kind of becoming our new normal. Meyer said that the West is kind of stuck in this feedback loop mm-hmm. where um, we're having an extended period of hotter and drier weather, which means that any precipitation that does fall just evaporates much more quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's like we're getting stuck in this system where we actually can't break out of a hotter and drier climate. He also just said that a lot of the research that the Utah Climate Center does goes into understanding cycles of precipitation um, and also water management practices. 
Mm. Um, And so in Moab, there are kind of three main avenues that the city is trying to take to manage its water. Um, The first is this creation of a new water conservation group called the Water Utility Resource Management Plan Coalition. And that coalition is an offshoot of the Spanish Valley Regional Water Management Coordination Group. Kind of a mouthful. Um, And that's like a group that is made up of the three primary water utility management groups in our valley. And so um, last fall, the group saw a need for a more cohesive water management plan um, in this Moab and Spanish Valley Valley. And so the coalition was formed to create this plan. And one of the reasons that they want to create a plan is because multiple studies have been done in this Mm -hmm. region that are all trying to gather how much water we have and how much water we use. Um, But all of the studies have found different answers. Mm -hmm. And so the plan um, created by this coalition is expected to be completed by early 2023, and it'll tie together everything that's been studied in the region and also create a plan for water conservation going forward. This plan will include how this valley can keep developing, but also what constraints we will need to have. You know, as you're talking about, and I really do appreciate you putting this into context of like drought in the West, as I think that is really important. You know, Mm -hmm. as you're talking, I just have this one word in my mind, which is like adaptation. Mm -hmm. Like how do we, how do we adapt to this reality that is that is here yeah and so one of the city's other um water conservation avenues is the official water conservation plan which is state mandated um so every five years the city has to update its water conservation plan and so most recently they updated the plan in december 2021 Mm -hmm. um and they set a goal to use um, 250 gallons per capita per day by 2030. Mm -hmm. And currently, in 2020, the gallons per capita per day was 278, um, if that gives any context. Um, So they're expecting to use less water in a couple of different ways. Sustainability Director Mila Dunbar-Irwin said that um, she expects the city to adopt a new landscaping and gray water ordinance um, and create new development standards that would kind of incorporate more water-wise landscaping. Mm. I think one of the biggest things that will come out of this water conservation plan um, and everything that this city is trying to do with these landscaping Mm -hmm. things is they're going to have a lot of outreach and education. Mm Because I think one of the biggest questions in Moab is like, you know, why do I have to use waterized landscaping at my house if there are all these hotels down the street that are filling up their swimming pools and like people are taking showers and all that stuff. But according to the plan, In 2020, the biggest water users in Moab were actually residents. And so of the 278 gallons per capita per day, um, 166 gallons were used by residents, 89 by commercial entities, and 22 by institutions, which includes city, school, and church buildings. And also the plan found that overnight accommodations only accounted for 16% of the commercial water used. Yeah, you see these like big buildings and you right. assume that they're, you know, maybe using a lot of water, but it mm-hmm. is interesting that where you live, you're you're using water where you live. You're taking showers, you're doing right. dishes, yeah. you're watering your lawn. Yeah, we use a lot of water yeah. um, in our everyday. So that kind of leads me into the third thing that the city is trying to do is um, create 
new water-wise landscaping, like code amendments. And so they want to create something that would require new developments to follow these landscaping rules. And water-wise landscaping is becoming kind of a buzzword, especially in the West. The Utah State Legislature just passed House Bill 282, which would prohibit public or private entities from prohibiting water-wise landscaping. So double negative, but it's encouraging water-wise landscaping. Um, And so the city is looking to adopt its own policies. And at their most recent city council meeting, um, they heard from staff at two water conservation organizations, the Western Resource Advocates and the Water Now Alliance, about policies that the city could adopt. And some of those ideas included requiring a maximum percentage of living plant materials. Hmm. Um, So obviously that would reduce the need for watering and also setting a limit to how much grass or turf could be planted because grass needs a ton of water. Um, And they also suggested that the city create a plant list that all developments have to follow. So let me see if I can repeat this back to you. Yeah. (laughs) And tell me if I get this right. So basically there are three things happening right now. Mm -hmm. There's this coalition of the different local water utility providers. Mm -hmm. And they're going to be looking at different questions um, as to, you know, the amount of water that we have and what to do about it. And then there's a state mandated process that Moab City Mm -hmm. is going through. And that is our water conservation plan. Yes. And then on top of that, Moab City on its own is looking at um, different code policies related Mm -hmm. to landscaping and other things um, that might also have a conservation angle. Yes. Did I get it? Yeah, okay. you got it. Sounds like the Moabs and News has a lot of, like, if you're interested in what's happening with water, like, yeah. it sounds like the, this is the <laughs> issue for you. I want you to take us somewhere else in the Moabs and News um, to an event that I had no idea existed. And it sounds really exciting. Yeah. So on March uh, 5th and 6th, Moab will host the nation's first ever single track bike drawer race. Um, So bike drawing is essentially dog sled racing on dry land, uh, but with a mountain bike instead of a sled and one or two dogs instead of 16. Um, So the race is called the Western Single Track Trail Dog Challenge, and it'll be held on the Klondike Bluffs Trail System just north of town. I have so many questions. I know. (laughs) (laughs) I talked to Brad Cassing, who is a bike drawer enthusiast um, who organized the race, and he said that bike drawing has been growing in the U.S. since the mid-2000s. And he said it's a lot easier to get into than sled racing because you only need one or two dogs. Um, And you can also use a mountain bike. And essentially what you're doing in in bike drawing is kind of hooking up your dogs to your bike. And so you still are pedaling um, and you're still biking on the trail. Um, It's just that the dogs will help you both go faster and also be able to kind of do these technical moves like cut around sharp turns um, much better because they'll kind of balance you out. At least that's according to Brad Cassing, who's been doing it for a really long time. Sure. He also mentioned that bike drawing is kind of unique because a lot of people get into sled dog racing because they love racing with their dogs. Mm -hmm. But bike drawing is almost like 
another step of mountain biking. He said anyone who's into it needs to love biking first. Sure. So <laughs> with the with the dogs, like, I mean, is it similar to sled racing where there's a certain type of dog that is really amenable to this sport? Yeah, definitely. Um, Brad Cassing's pets are sled dogs. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're really athletic and they have very tough feet and they love to run. Okay, so this event is taking place when again? So it's taking place on March 5th and 6th. Okay, so it's coming up in Klondike Bluffs. Yes. And it's going to bring, you know, bike jurors, I guess, from all over. Yeah. So I was talking to Brad about that and he said um, they want to keep it kind of small. Okay. Uh, both because this is the first single track trail that they've ever done. Mm-hmm. Um, usually these races are done on like roads or much wider trails. So this is the first technical mountain biking trail that mm-hmm. this bike drawing thing is going to be done on. Um, and also he's not really sure how it's going to be received in Moab, but he also said that he wanted to bring this event to Moab because he wants to show people that bike drawing is a serious sport. Mm. Um, and he wants people to take it seriously. And he said that in Europe, um, bike drawing athletes have been competing on single track trails for years. Casting said that for the entire bike draw community, this race in Moab has a lot of significance. Okay. So, you know, this might be like myself, the first time I'm hearing about the sport, but it's definitely not, you know, unusual to the people who are active participants right. um, and know the international bike during community. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I'm definitely going to go home and like watch videos <laughs> of this sport, but how are the dogs like attached to the bikes? Yeah. So there are a couple different ways um, people can attach them to bikes. Usually you want to attach your dog to your bike frame mm-hmm. instead of the handlebars um, so that they can't tug you one way or the other it's just that they're giving kind of more power Mm. or people will use like a almost like an antenna that they'll attach their dog's leash to and then the antenna will help pull the bike um, and also help pull the bike around corners so I asked Brad you know how quickly these races usually go and he said that um, when bike drawing the dogs can usually top out at 30 miles an hour wow so you're going fast super fast wow okay all right like a sled race Right, exactly. Like a sled race. Yeah. Okay, amazing. <laughs> Before you go, Allie, I'm hoping you can talk about one more event that mm-hmm. is profiled in the Moab Sun News this week. Sea Caven is having an upcoming workshop. Yeah, so um, as part of a series of bystander intervention trainings that Cora Phillips, who is the prevention coordinator at Sea Caven, offers to employees and employers in the Moab area, she is partnering with Futures Without Violence um, to host this webinar called Promoting Employee Wellness and Safety, Addressing the Impacts of Gender-Based Violence and Harassment in the Outdoor Industry. Um, And that'll be on March 4th at 2 p.m. Yeah, and so at this webinar, uh, the speakers will go over how to recognize gender-based violence and harassment, how it impacts survivors who have experienced it, and how it shows up in the outdoor recreation and tourism industry. Um, And so I talked to Cora Phillips, and I also talked to Eugene King, who works at Futures Without Violence, um, and she'll be speaking at the webinar. And they both said that the outdoor recreation and tourism industry um, is really at risk for being a workplace that has harassment and violence, um, because as Phillips said, you can't access HR when you're in the middle of Cataract Canyon. Mm, And so this is a workplace that has... 
um, a very homogeneous and young workforce with a historic lack of diversity. Um, it's a workplace with a significant power disparity, and it relies on client satisfaction. Mm-hmm. And also, people who work in the outdoor recreation and tourism industry are going into isolated workplaces and also workplaces that tolerate or encourage alcohol consumption. And so this is an industry that we really need to pay more attention to. Mm-hmm. And that's why Sea Caven really wanted to like bring light to mm-hmm. what can be happening in this industry. In 2018, Outside Magazine released a survey to assess readers' experiences with sexual harassment in outdoor recreation and outdoor industry jobs. Um, And of about the 4,000 people who responded, 70% said that they had been harassed. Wow. Yeah. And there was a survey done for the Safe Outside initiative that found that in the rock climbing community, 47% of women and 16% of men reported being harassed while in climbing settings. And then also in 2019, Camber Outdoors, which is a company that provides workplace trainings for the outdoor industry, um, they led a survey and found that only 31% of the women who responded believed that reported harassment would be handled appropriately. That is disheartening. Yeah. Wow. So I think it's like very obvious that this is an industry that we do need to pay more attention to and that people need to talk about more. And so this webinar will talk a lot about prevention and also what to do as a bystander Mm -hmm. if you see something happening. Do you need to register for the webinar? Yeah, so the webinar is free um, and information on how to join it is available via CKVN's Facebook page. Even saying that this is a problem is a big deal. Right. Um, and that CKVN has this prevention coordinator in place doing right. these trainings. This webinar is coming up and she's also available, you know, to do workplace trainings and Mm. tailor her training to your workplace. Yeah, Cora Phillips said that while this is focused on the outdoor recreation and tourism industry, it's really open to anyone who's interested in going. She encouraged anyone to come to the webinar. Allison Harford, staff reporter at the Moab Sun News. Subscription info and more stories can be found at moabsunnews.com. That's it for the Weekly Newsreel, where we check in with reporters on their latest stories of the Moab area. You can find the pieces mentioned today in the show notes at our website, kzmu.org, or wherever you listen to the KZMU News podcast. As always, thanks for tuning in and supporting KZMU, community-powered radio.